Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. Uh, and wait to turn on my mic there this morning. A little insight into how my brain works. I don't ever turn my mic on until I'm on the stage because if I trip and fall on the way up here, you guys don't have to hear that. That's what runs through my mind. So I don't want to hear me gasping for air as I'm trying to recover and everything over there. So I always wait to the last second to, to turn my mic on. But it's really good to see you guys all this morning. We're sore to see you guys. I'm kind of blinded right now, so I hope there's people out there still. Uh, hope everybody didn't run for the doors when they realized that Quentin and, and Matt weren't preaching. Quentin or Matt was preaching this morning. Hope everybody's still there. If, uh, if not, we'll press on, but maybe, uh, maybe we got some people to talk to this morning. So a lot of you guys may be wondering exactly who I am, and I'm going to introduce myself a little more fully here in just a minute. But if you guys uh, would join me, I want to open this morning with prayer. Father, thank you for this morning and uh, for this church and for these people, all of which we love so dearly. We're thankful for the opportunity to share about the many blessings that you've given us. And we are thankful for the faithfulness that you show us. Father, you are good and you are good to us. My rock and my redeemer, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. To you be all the glory. Amen. All right, so my name is Chris Hilburn. I'm an elder here at LifePoint. Uh, I've been an elder for the last three to five years-ish, some, somewhere in that range. Uh, being an elder around here takes years off your life, so I almost think there's a multiplier. Like, I've been an elder for three years, so maybe it's actually nine years in some, in some kind of way. But uh, anyways, my wife, uh, Laura, and my children are sitting over here on this side. Um, yeah, woo! That's the best response I've ever gotten for that intro, so that's good. <laughs> so I served as the, uh, the missions pastor here at LifePoint for, for a number of years before we were appointed as long-term church planners with ABWE. And again, I've served as an elder here for the last three, four, or five years, somewhere around that. Uh, usually, Laura and I are down at the coffee house. We run the coffee house service, so if you have no idea who I am, that could be why. We've been down there for the last few years doing that. And uh, if you've never been down the coffee house, you should come join us. It's a lot of fun. It's really chill down there, and I'm usually making coffee, and I think the coffee's okay. Like, people have been coming back for a little while now, so I think it's pretty good. So um, anyways, as I said, I was appointed, uh, we, Laura and I, were appointed as church planners through ABWE. Uh, you guys may have no idea who ABWE is. It stands for the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. Um, again, may have no idea who they are. We're familiar with the Southern Baptist Convention and the International Mission Board down here. They function kind of the same way. There are administrative help. Uh, they help us deal with all kinds of um, red tape and things like that, and they offer administrative support for us. They're our sending agency, and LifePoint is our sending church. ABWE has been around for somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 years. Um, there's about a thousand missionaries in 74 different countries on six continents. So it's a pretty big organization. We're a part of a big family there that is very like-minded uh, doctrinally and philosophically as far as ministry goes with LifePoint. So that's cool. Uh, we were drawn to ABWE because of that, actually. Um, ABWE's mission statement is we seek to fulfill the Great Commission by multiplying leaders, churches, and missions movements all over the world. And that big statement, that kind of umbrella statement, uh, aligns with our family's personal ministry philosophy because we believe that the local church is the answer. And we seek to plant churches where we can multiply disciples. Um, we know that the trajectory of our life has changed dramatically because of this church. And honestly, it breaks our heart that there's not people, that there's people in the world that don't have a place like LifePoint, you know. I remember really early on in our, our attendance here at LifePoint, so this was probably, I don't know, 12 years ago. We started here in 2008. 
So maybe 12 years ago, we were standing out in front of the building after service one morning. And uh, if you guys have been here long enough to remember the old building, we had like this little awning out there that provided very little shade, but everybody would congregate under that shade right there because it's like a thousand degrees on the asphalt in Alabama in the summer. And nobody wants to be out there getting fried before you get ready to go eat your fried food for lunch, right? So we were all gathered together there in that, uh, as it were, in that little shaded area out in front. And uh, it was me and Laura and her cousin and his wife. We were just standing out there talking. And I can remember at one point Ben looking at me and saying, man, either these guys have got it all figured out or they've got us all fooled. It's one or the other. I'm not sure which one it is yet. So I've been an elder here for the last number of years. I can tell you there's probably a good mix of both in there, right? I feel like us around here, these guys have got a lot figured out, and there's probably a lot that just goes well that we say, hey, yeah, we meant to do it that way in the end, you know. Um, the, the thing is, though, is we had all grown up in churches where nobody was really concerned about anything that happened outside of Sunday morning. We really focused on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and that's all that we cared about. And we experienced something different when we came here to LifePoint in that we were involved in a community that was passionate about the loss in the community. They're passionate about going out and reaching those that are lost around us, at the same time providing a community for people to grow up in and for people to, to grow as disciples of Jesus. That was totally different than anything that we'd ever experienced before, a church that was outwardly looking while still worried about its, its members, its, you know, its partners. It really makes me think of the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, uh, it's pretty familiar scripture. You guys will know this. It's, it's about a shepherd, right, that has a hundred sheep, and one of, the sheep's get, one of the sheep gets lost, and Jesus asks this poignant question of, would the shepherd not leave the 99 and go after the one? Now, the implication is that the shepherd is Jesus, right? Would the shepherd not leave those 99 that are safe and go after the one? And Jesus is passionate about those who are lost. Because Jesus is passionate about that, we should be too. As his followers, we should be passionate about those who are lost. And that is 100% true. That's, that's usually the message that we preach from that. And I love that. But actually, my favorite part of the story is the very end of the story. And a lot of people don't even make it down to this point. When Jesus finds the sheep, he doesn't just say, all right, I've located the sheep. There you are. You're good to go. Have fun. He finds the sheep. He picks it up and lovingly places it over his shoulder and carries it back. And the implication is that he puts it back in the flock with other sheep. He puts it with other sheep where it can learn to do sheep stuff, whatever sheep do, I don't know, where it can learn from each other, and it can be under the protection of the shepherd. And I think it's just such a beautiful picture of the local church that when Jesus goes out and finds those that are lost, we should be bringing them into the church where they could be a part of like-minded people that are under the protection of the shepherd and we're growing together. It's because of that story, and there's, there's so many others throughout the Bible, that we believe the local church is the answer. And we are passionate about planning churches because we feel like if it's important to the shepherd, it should be important to the sheep as well. That's why we are church planners. Now, where we're going specifically is uh, it's a bit of a hot-button issue around here. So in the first service I shared, Matt only got this right once. He says it's twice, but I'm not, I'm not convinced he's got it right twice of where we're going. But the last week was the first time I feel like that we've gotten it right, that we are going to... Go to the United Kingdom, yes, which is four countries. We're going to land in England with the intention of planting in Scotland. 
So we've heard that we're planting in any number of countries that start with the letter S, from Switzerland to Sweden to wherever else. But it's actually England, and it's actually planting in Scotland. So that's, that's the plan for us. The number one question we get asked out of that is, why on earth would you be going to plant churches in the United Kingdom? A lot of you guys that we've shared with individually that are here this morning will remember this story. Um, but it's the truth of it, because you probably asked me this same question. We get asked it all the time. Why are you going to plant in England and Scotland? And I think we have this vision of what Western Europe is, maybe in particular what England is. We think of, as, we think of it as a place that is a stronghold for the Christian faith. England sent out the first missionaries, the very first ones, the very first missionaries that left outside of the Bible, that left their context and went to serve cross-culturally and plant churches. England sent those guys out. You know, William Carey, Hudson Taylor, um, all, these, all these guys. We think of great minds like uh, Charles Spurgeon or C.S. Lewis or William Booth who helped you know, start the Salvation Army. That's what we think of when we think of England and Christianity. The one thing that all those guys have in common, every single one of them, is that every single one of them are very long dead and gone. And some of them have been so for a long time. Some of them hadn't been around for a number of years. We feel like that Christianity is still strong there, but the examples we point to in some cases are hundreds of years old. Christianity has become a cultural relic in the British Isles that's no more important to everyday people than, say, I don't know, Greek or Norse mythology, right? You start sharing stories about Odin, you can share stories about Jesus the same way. There's just stories that we tell each other. Most young people couldn't fathom why you would want to spend an every, just a regular old Sunday at church when you could be at home watching football on the TV or whatever else. Why would you go to church and waste a Sunday? And it's not as far away as you guys might think that that is. It's only a couple generations away. The way that we were explaining this while we were there is that maybe the grandparents were twice a year's, right? They're those Easter and Christmas people. So for the parents, church wasn't ever really, wasn't ever really a big deal. You know, it wasn't important to my parents. Why would it be important to me? So they don't go at all then. And then the next generation of children are raised up in a family where church is not important. We've never darkened the doors of it. Why would you go there? It's, it's just a couple generations away. And if you want to understand the gravity of that situation, America follows kind of what Western Europe does, and we're not that far behind them. We're, not that, we're just a couple generations away from um, Christianity becoming a relic here as well. We have to be cautious of that. But if you want to understand the situation, just look at where we're headed, right? This, this was really solidified in our minds when we took a trip there about four years ago now. Uh, it was with LifePoint, actually. There was like six of us that went. Um, myself and Laura and my brother James and a couple other people went uh, just to spend like 10 days serving, and, um, serving with another missions agency there, just whatever we could do. We wound up doing food service at a, uh, at a mission retreat for a couple of days. By the way, if you've never done food service for 100 people before, that is hard work, and we did that for eight days straight. We stayed up till two o'clock in the morning washing dishes every night. It was it was it was tough, but anyways, at one point in this trip, we were coming back from that retreat, so we were driving back from Wales to England, riding through the countryside. These beautiful rolling hills, you know, sheep everywhere, all these things. And my brother James yells out at one point, "Hey, there's one with some people in it." You look out the window, and it's a church. And you're like, "Okay, well, of course there's people there. There's a church, right?" 
thing is, though, that we had been there for, I don't know, six to seven days at this point, and we'd seen as many churches as you can imagine, beautiful architecture, some of them hundreds of years, hundreds of years old. But what we had not seen at any of them was any people, except for the ones possibly that were converted into pubs where people were going to get lunch, or ones that were converted into libraries where people were going to pick up a book. Matter of fact, this place that we, we saw only had people there because it was a wedding venue and there was a wedding happening. So we had seen buildings everywhere, but we hadn't seen any people. It was at that point that Andy, the, the British guy that was leading the trip for us, uh, he shared that in that particular village that we were in, I won't name it now, but in that particular village that we were in, there was about 18,000 people there, and there was two churches of effectively 50 people each that regularly attended church. So 100 people out of 18,000. If you run the quick numbers on that, that is less than 1% of the population that were disciples that were following hard after Jesus that were regularly attending church. We say at church attendance is like bare minimum for Christians, right? Like that's, that's, that's the easy one. You can do that. You can show up. Less than 1% of the population wasn't even showing up. And that number was like pretty surprising to us. We didn't, we didn't quite understand that. Uh, just for context, missiologists, you know, people that their job is to talk about missions, will say less than 3% of the population, if less than 3% of the population is regularly attending church service or committed disciples, that area is unreached. It's, it's almost as if the gospel has never gone there. So many places, like the place that we went to, right in the heart of England, is so post-Christian that it's almost pre-Christian at this point. It's unreached again. And that's kind of mind-blowing, right? That, it was for me. I was just like, there's no way that's true, but it, it certainly is. But when you hear that number, it's not quite as impactful as you think it would be, right? It's easy to forget a number. Have you ever wondered why World Vision or Compassion International, when they come and speak at places or there's commercials on TV, they always show the face, right, the face of the kid. And I think that's important because you really understand that there is a soul attached to that face. This is not a number. This is not one in ten, don't have clean drinking water. This child does not have clean drinking water. And that's the difference. So a few days later, we, uh, we were at King's Cross Station. It's this massive train station in the heart of London. If you come in from another country into England, or if you're coming from the north to the south in England, you come in through King's Cross train station. It's just, that's just the way it is. It's massive. It's like 11 different train platforms and trains are coming constantly, you know, nonstop. So we found ourselves there as we were trying to go to London and see a few things the last few days. And as all this massive humanity is exiting the trains and seemingly going where, exactly where they knew where to go, we had no idea where to go. So we were always going the wrong direction, I felt like. It would be, you know, us five from LifePoint fighting against 100 people that come off this train. You know, we just didn't know where to go. So we decided we're going to go to the stairwell to kind of walk up a little bit above everybody where we can see and figure out what we're going to do. And uh, Laura and I walked over there and just running into people the whole way. And once we finally made it there, she grabbed me by the arm and she said, do you realize that we probably run into 100 people from the train platform to this stairwell and maybe one of them is a disciple of Jesus? Maybe one of them is following hard after Jesus. Maybe one person is regularly attending church. And like, then you stand there and you see that stream of faces come by, right? And it's a whole lot different than hearing 100 people out of 18,000 when you see those faces come by. That has stuck with us throughout these years, throughout these four years, this roller coaster ride that we've had of being missionaries and raising support and figuring out um, not only where specifically we're going, but how we're going to get there. That stream of faces has really stuck with us because we understand that there's people there 
that may live and die without ever hearing the hope of the gospel. And God allowed us to experience this, so what were we going to do about it? You know, we were, we were, pretty, we were pretty wrecked when we heard that. It was, it was tough um, just to deal with that. But as we're getting ready to come home, as I said, I led missions stuff around here, short-term mission trips around here for a long time. So I know what it's like when you return home from a short-term mission trip. Right? If you've ever been on one, you come home and there's this emotional high that you feel. Right? It's, I can remember coming home from Mexico the first time and I thought, I'm going to sell everything that I own and I'm moving to Mexico to build houses because that's what I did. And God allowed me to experience that and it was awesome. And that is a great motivating factor. Don't, don't, don't hear me discounting that. That is great. The thing is, though, what almost every time happens is people return home and they get in the normal grooves of life again. Maybe you go back to work or go back to school, and then you find yourself thinking about it a little bit less, a little bit less, and a couple weeks later, it was, a, it was a good experience. And God has motivated you to do something, but now we're not moving there. We don't know what it is, but we're going to do something about it. So I know how that typically goes, and that is perfectly fine if that's been your experience. That was my experience for a number of years. We've been to Mexico 15 times to build houses. I've shared the gospel in the Himalayas with the unreached in India and up to the border in Nepal. I've served in Montgomery in homeless ministry. I've served all over the world. And every time I've returned home motivated, but I've never really felt like this is where God's calling me to be until we got home from England. So on the plane ride back, I decided that it was going to be three months before Laura, ever, Laura and I ever talked about this because I was feeling it. I hadn't really told her, you know, husband and wife, great communication, right? Same old story, tale as old as time. But I hadn't, I hadn't told her anything about it because I was dealing with this and I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to influence the results. So I thought in my mind, three months and I'll see how I'm feeling after this. That's a totally arbitrary number. I have no idea where that came from. I just, that's what I thought. So three months comes and goes, and there was a night that uh, we were finishing up supper and going, going to do dishes at the sink, right? We're going to do dishes together. And honestly, this got pointed out in the first service. Uh, we've done dishes together maybe three times in our 13 years of marriage. I was doing this to butter her up because this was about to be a tough conversation, right? Like, if you're the one that's about to tell your wife that, hey, we're going to move across the ocean, be poor for the rest of our lives, and plant churches, like, that's a pretty tough conversation that you're about to have, right? Um, it was really interesting, though. So we're doing dishes together, and I started to tell her. I was just like, hey, we need to talk. I, we've got to figure this out. This hasn't gone anywhere. And before I even really got started good, Laura stopped me, and she just said, I know. I've been dealing with the same thing, and God has been telling me the same things, and I didn't know how to talk to you about it. Um, I don't think she had come up with a number of how long it was going to wait, but it was really interesting, and it was really confirming to us just to, to have that, that confirmation, that affirmation of this is what God is telling us to do, and uh, we need to figure out what we're going to do about it. So we started asking ourselves, standing there that night, two questions that I think are really, really important to ask yourself. We started asking ourselves, why not us, and why not right now? Because I think when we, most Christians, when we see things, when we see a problem, when an issue arises that God allows us to experience this, it's very easy to think, that's a problem over there that someone else will handle, and it'll be handled at some point in the future. Right? That's easy. That's easy to think, okay, I saw that, but I know this person. They'll take care of it, and they'll get it done at some point. What if you started asking yourself, why not me, and why not right now? I think you might be surprised at what the default answer is there, that the answer that God gives us. Because a lot of times I think that God allows us to experience things specifically because it is you and it is right now. 
And we've started asking ourselves that. God allowed us to go on this trip and see these people and see the need and see how it could be home for us and a family where we could raise our family while we're making disciples. Um, so why not us and why not right now? And honestly, I, I jokingly say this, but it's really kind of true. We haven't come up with a good answer for that yet. There, there hasn't been a good answer for why not us and why not right now. So as of right now, that it is us, and that's what we're going to do. And man, we're almost there. We, we have been fundraising for um, support raising for 18 to 24 months. So that's a year and a half, two years, somewhere around that, that area. It's been a long process. It's been an emotional journey for us to get there. But we know that this is something that God has called us to do. So we know that he's going to provide for us to get there. And we're just out trying to figure out how, it, how we're supposed to do it, right? Who's going, to, who's going to partner with us? And a big part of our ministry right now is helping people understand that every single person in the church, and I don't mean just this church, yes, everyone inside a LifePoint church, but every single person inside of the church globally is to work to fulfill the Great Commission. You have a role to play in fulfilling the Great Commission that Jesus gave us. The body of Christ is beautiful because of what it is. It's the body of Christ. You know, whatever, however you want to look at it, my family and I, we might be the hands and feet of Jesus that goes somewhere, that reaches out um, to, to spread the gospel, but the body needs every single body part functioning the way it's supposed to function for it to be healthy. For the body of Christ to be healthy, we need every body part doing its part. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, we get ready to look at some scripture, I want you to ask yourself, what is my role in fulfilling the Great Commission? And I wonder if you've ever even thought about it that way. If you've ever thought about Jesus gave this big, this big sweeping statement at the end of his life here on earth. Do I have a role to play in that? And does Jesus have me, want me to do something about that? You guys get ready. You can start uh, making your way to Matthew chapter 28 uh, if, in a paper Bible. If anybody's got one of those, open your paper, paper Bible, right? Most people just have your phones. You can scroll there, I guess. However you get there is not the important part. The important part is that you get there, right? So Matthew 28, we're going to read verses 19 and 20 together. But I want you thinking about what is my role in fulfilling the Great Commission? Because here's the deal. This is Jesus' last command to his disciples. It's about two or 300 people gathered there that day. It's the last thing that he decides he's going to tell them before he ascends into heaven. If it's the last thing that you're going to share with somebody, if it's going to be your famous last words, there's some spe special gravity to this, right? There's some weight to this, these words. There's some weight to this statement that we're going to say. I love the sermon series that we did here a couple years ago about famous last words. I think it was really interesting to hear some of those. And if you look it up on Google, it's really cool, too. Like, you'll hear some really profound stuff and then some stuff that's just kind of comical, too. Um, but the thing is that all that has in common is there is weight, there is gravity to these words because I know these are the last thing, this is going to be my lasting legacy. This is going to be the last thing I say to people before I, before I ascend into heaven. Because in Jesus' case, a lot has happened up until this point, right? Like Jesus lived a pretty wild life, man. He, he had been, died on the cross, he had been resurrected, okay? And this is before he ascends into heaven. So this post-cross post-resurrection, but pre-ascension, a lot has happened in Jesus' life, right? And he's coming up to the end, and this is what he wants to share with his disciples, with his followers. So we're going to read this, uh, we're going to read this together here. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Real quick side note, I love how this command is kind of sandwiched between two important things. Don't miss that all authority has been given to Jesus. It starts with authority and it ends with a promise. Remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I think that's cool. Starts with authority, ends with a promise. Well, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to get into a bit of a language lesson here for the next, I don't know, four or five minutes. So unless you're a, an English teacher or you teach grammar or something, you're probably not too excited about it, but I promise hang in there with me for a minute. It's going to be important. This is an important part of this, right? So whenever we're deciding on, this is a big statement, right? We're trying to decide what it is that Jesus is telling us, what it is we're to be focused on. There's a lot that you could focus on here. So we're going to try to find what the imperative of this statement is. And the word imperative means, simply if you just use the word imperative, it means this is not to be missed. Don't miss this part of it. This is the, this is the important part. Or if you use that grammatically, imperative means that all these other pieces function to support this. Right? All these other verbs support this verb. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Okay? So you have four of them here. You got go, make, baptize, and teach. If we were to break down the Great Commission, it would be go, make, baptize, teach. Right? That, that would be the four things. But what is the most important part of this? You would think that maybe as a missionary that I'm up here telling you today that going is the most important part of the Great Commission, right? After all, I'm picking up my family. Well, not physically picking them up. We're picking up all our stuff, and we're moving it across an ocean. So going is the biggest aspect of, of the Great Commission, right? But honestly, the imperative of this command right here is that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. A little lag there. We are to go and make disciples of all nations. Going is a piece of that, okay? Going is a part of it, but the imperative of this is to be focused on making disciples of all nations. That is what the church's primary command is today, is that we are to leverage everyday moments in our lives for the business of making disciples of all nations. We are to leverage every opportunity that we have for the sake of the gospel, of sharing Jesus with people, so that we can make disciples who turn around and make disciples and we multiply out. You know, this whole movement started with a couple hundred people gathered around, around Jesus in the Middle East, and it has endured the test of time, you know, largest religion in the world, and has endured for thousands of years at this point, right? It's amazing what can happen when we focus on what our imperative is, is that we are to be about the business of going and making disciples of all nations. And again, that is the command to the church. So that is the command to LifePoint Church. That is what we're supposed to be doing. It's also the command to you individually as the global church. As a believer in Jesus, you are the church, and you are commanded to go and make disciples of all nations, right? And that sounds like, wow, that is a big deal. That's huge. Like, I don't even know where to get started. I think we run the risk of possibly the whole analysis, paralysis, or whichever way that goes. I may have got that backwards. Uh, where we analyze things to the point of where we don't move anymore. Because it seems so big. It's like, how in the world am I supposed to fulfill making disciples of all nations? I don't even know how many nations there are. Something I figured out through sharing over the, the past couple years, most people don't even know how many nations are in the United Kingdom. <laughs> so how, how are we going to make, make uh, disciples of all nations, right? But I want to draw your attention to something that it may be a little bit different way of thinking about this, right? So for us as missionaries... The newsletter is the primary way that we communicate with our supporters. Uh, we, send out, uh, we send out newsletters about once a month. 
try to once a month, every six weeks or so, just to communicate where we're at, what we're doing, things are going on, how you can pray for us, and things to celebrate with us. Uh, this one in particular was a prayer request, as you no doubt surmise there. Um, we were having trouble with a passport that we were trying to get ready to go to England, and Eli, my son, couldn't get his passport through, and we had to drive to Atlanta the day before we were flying to try to get this passport done, and it was a nightmare. And dealing, you know, at any point when you're dealing with bureaucracy, it's not a lot of fun. And it wasn't. We asked for people to pray for us, um, and th and that was that was a big deal, right? But that's primarily what the newsletter's for. So, by the way, shameless plug here: if you want to get our newsletter, please come see us at the table out front after this is over with. Name, email address, we'll get you added on to that. That way you can keep up with what we're doing, where we're going, all that good stuff. Come see us, we'll get you on the newsletter. But I'd like to ask you, personally, what would it look like if you were to write a newsletter about your last four to six weeks, a month, six, six weeks ago? Would it be possibly be embarrassing that how little that I was able to write about that I leveraged everyday moments for the sake of making disciples? Or would you be one of those that you could write pages and pages and put ours to shame probably? And just like, man, I did this and I did this and I did that. I think that most people would probably lean towards the side of, I don't know what I could write. But I want to share this with you. Maybe a newsletter would look a little bit like this. Yesterday at the grocery store, the lady in front of me didn't have enough money to pay for all her groceries. I offered to pay the balance and I told her that Jesus loved her and I invited her to church. Maybe you'll say, the other day I was sitting at the ball field waiting for my kid to finish up practice, and I decided to make a phone call to someone who's grieving just to check in on them, tell them that I love them. Maybe you would say, I decided to share Christ with someone at work the other day when they opened up about some recent struggles in their life, and I'm hoping that I planted a seed there. Perhaps it would say, I decided to go on a short-term mission trip. I don't know, maybe to Reynosa, Mexico, to go work at an orphanage for... Uh, eight to ten days, and hopefully leverage that work as an opportunity to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus and to bolster the faith of those who do. Maybe, yours would say, I decided to, to give up Chick-fil-A once a month so that I could support a missionary as they go to plant churches overseas. Maybe a particular person's headed to the UK, has got a beard, you know, is up here speaking in front of you. Maybe that's the person, I don't know, maybe he's the guy. It's interesting, though, were those the things that you thought would be on a newsletter? I would venture to say that most people probably wouldn't think that was very newsworthy. I know a couple years ago, I wouldn't have thought that that would be newsworthy. I would think that, you know, we had a, we had a crusade and 200 people were saved. That's what people want to know about. What about that small instance where you used some resource that you had, you know, and resources are not just money, that's time, influence, whatever you've got. You use that to leverage that for the sake of making disciples of all nations. What if that's what your newsletter was full of? So here's the point this morning. Is that going, going and making disciples of all nations, going is far less about directional movement and it's more about intentionality. The fact that I'm going to England to plant churches is important for me, but it really, it's really not the most important piece. The most important piece is that I'm going intentionally. It's not necessarily where you're going. It's how and why you are going going about your life intentionally leveraging everyday moments for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of making disciples of all nations. Again, if you look at the command of Jesus to go and make, it could really read, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. As you're going about your everyday life, 
find ways intentionally to make disciples of all nations. Now, it may mean that you cross an ocean and you come and join us at some point, or it may mean that you cross the backyard to go talk to your neighbor. It may, that may be what it is. I don't know. I can't answer that part for you. The most important thing, though, is to focus on not where you are going, but why and how you are going. It's to go about life intentionally because going and making disciples is less about directional movement and more about intentionality. I want to close this morning and just tell you guys how thankful that we are to each and every one of you as a church, as a, as a family that we've been a part of since 2008. And again, a lot of you guys may not know me, but I've been here for a long time. We've been here practically since the beginning, not the whole time, but for a long time. And we've always called this our home church. But pretty soon, this is going to be our sending church. This is not going to be home church for us anymore. We're going to be sent out, and we're going to go plant a home church somewhere else where it's going to be home for someone else and for us. The majority of our prayer support, the vast majority of our prayer support comes from these chairs sitting right in front of us and you guys. The vast majority of our financial support that meets our monthly budget goals, it comes from these chairs sitting right in front of that. And we are so grateful for each and every one of you that are committed to supporting us prayerfully, financially, um, checking in on us, sending cards and letters. We get all those things, and we're so thankful for each and every one of those. We love you guys, and um, we, can't, we can't imagine what life is going to be without you all. I'm going to ask... Uh, I'm going to ask you and Matt to start making their way up here. I just want to share a quick story. Um, it's a pretty emotional one for me, but it's something I think about. Dr. David Livingston is one of my favorite missionaries of all time, a missionary from Scotland that was commissioned by the King of England to go and explore the interior of Africa. If you've ever wondered why there's a waterfall in the middle of Africa that's called Victoria Falls, you have him to thank for that. Obviously, the local people didn't call it that. They call it something like the Smoke That Thunders, which is a way cooler name. We should have stuck with that one. But uh, we have him to thank for that. And when he returned home from this commission from the King of England to explore and to plant churches and to share the gospel, he came come home lame, uh, lame in one leg, had an eye that was gouged out by a stick, some really terrible, he had a hard life there, very hard life, as you can imagine. And he, was at, he went and spoke at a university, and they asked him when he was standing there, what does it mean to sacrifice so much and live a life that you could have had? You could have had whatever you wanted here. You know, top of the top scholar, elite class, he could have done all this, but he went and come back where he can barely function as a, as a human. And um, he said that he thought it was funny that people would say that it is an honor to be commissioned by an earthly king but call a commission from our Heavenly Father as a sacrifice. His statement was that I have made no sacrifice. Thank you. You know, it is a, uh, it's a rare, very rare thing um, that we share this stage with someone other than one of our pastors. It does not happen very often. Um, but I wanted you guys to hear not just what the Hilburns are doing, but I wanted you to hear the heart behind why they're doing it. Um, and I'm not sure there's a better environment for expressing that than what's happened this morning. Um, and so now we're going to ask you for something. Um, because um, I think that, um, I, I think I agree. I, I don't think I agree. I know I agree with Chris that each one of us have a responsibility to the Great Commission. 
Um, and for some of us in the room, um, we will never get the chance to go across the world to the, or to the other side of the world and, um, and actually plant a church. Uh, but we can go with the Hilburns in, um, in other ways. And um, so I want you to know, as we ask you to give this morning, that I know how big of an ask that is. Uh, my family does not have unlimited financial resources. Uh, I assume that you know that. Um, but we do feel like, Jennifer and I feel like, um, that it is very important to invest in things that will last eternity. Uh, and so when we begin to think about how we're going to give and where we're going to be generous, um, we approach it from an investment perspective. Um, and we expect return on our investment. Um, we really do. We truly do. I, I believe that LifePoint is a worthy investment um, in a place for us to be generous to. And so uh, we invest here. Um, we believe in Compassion International. I've had a chance to travel to Africa with them and see the work they do. And we believe that that's, a, an, that's an important investment and a valid, incredible investment. So we invest there. And um, several months ago, um, Chris and Laura asked us to consider investing in what they were doing. And uh, if I'm honest this morning, we were, I think, the last of the pastors to make yeah. a commitment to you guys, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> we were. Um, and they were probably frustrated with us because they would probably assume, well, if we're going from Life Point, why would our lead pastor not be supporting that? And here's the reason, is because we take those decisions very seriously and we think through them um, and we pray through them and... Um, we believe that every penny should be invested wisely uh, into the kingdom. And after praying about that and thinking through it, um, this is something we believe in. And I would not ask you to do something that we're not willing to do. Um, and so we support them not only as a church. So every week when you put money in an offering bucket as you walk out the door, as you um, do online giving with a debit card or credit card, um, there's a portion of that that goes directly to what the Hilburns are doing, um, and we invest in that as a church, as a whole, as an organization. Uh, but there are people sitting in the seats all around here, like my family, who also invest in what they're doing. And uh, they were, at the beginning of the first service, 90, 94%, 94%, 94 yep. funded. I'm assuming we didn't calculate afterwards because mm, we don't know that. Um, but here's what that meant. At the beginning of the morning... The Hilburns are $700 a month in support away from being fully funded and ready to hop on an airplane and head over to Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> head to the UK, uh, land in England, and begin to plant churches. And we kind of talked about this week. We feel like that LifePoint needs to finish that off. Um, and I believe in you guys. I'm not trying to twist any arms. All I'm asking you to do is pray about it. And, and this, is, this is the thing. We, we don't want you to give one penny more than God asks you to give to them. But I also don't want you to give one penny less. And so if you'd be willing to support them on your way out the door, uh, on the left, there is a table. You can stop by there. You can grab one of their commitment cards. Um, and, and you can sign up to monthly do that. Um, it, you're actually will be giving through ABWE, and uh, and then ABWE takes those funds and they steward those funds to the Hilburns and the work they're going to be doing over there. And so um, there's some there's some accountability For and sure. some credibility related to that. Yep. And uh, we want you to do that. 
Uh, the expectation is, is that some of you will come alongside them financially, help them be there. The other expectation is that all of you will come alongside them in prayer and pray for them as they're there. Um, and, and most importantly, is to ask the same question that Chris asked earlier, is what is your role to play in the Great Commission? So uh, what we want to do is we end the morning. The band's coming out here shortly. Uh, but we're going to ask Chris and his family, Laura, kids, uh, we're going to ask them to stand right down here. And uh, then we're going to ask those of you who would like to, particularly we're going to ask our elders and any of our staff who are here this morning to come on down uh, and put a hand on them. And then if you know the Hilburns or if you just would like to come up and pray for them, we're going to actually commission them this morning um, as they leave and as they go um, because we believe in what they're doing and we believe that nothing of eternal significance has ever been done outside of prayer. And uh, we're kind of praying and commissioning them, but it's sort of a prayer of commitment that we're going to continue to pray for them uh, as they go as well. And so you make your way on down if you would like to pray with them, if you know them personally. I know some of our coffee house people were here in the early gathering up there here now, but if you know the Hilburns, please come. There you go. And I'm going to ask Todd's going to pray for these guys. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, so much for the way that you have led this family uh, through the missions trips that they've led, through the experiences they've had, and how you've directed them up to this moment. Uh, you've been faithful uh, to them. And so, Father, we anticipate and look forward to you being faithful in the future to them. We, you're going to walk with them. Uh, into the uh, unknown experience of moving to another country and all that goes with that and all the, the challenges that, that accompany that. Father, we, uh, we ask for your hand on them. We ask for your hand of direction continued for your blessing in their lives. And uh, Father, we just pray that we would be a church that truly would be a sending church, that we would support them, that we would love them well, even in their absence, that, uh, Father, we would pray for them and uh, support them and help them with our prayers and uh, also with our giving, that we'd be generous and that we would undergird them and undergird their ministry with what you've given to us to steward. Father, help us to be faithful as a church to this ministry that's an extension of what we've done here, Father, but only by your strength. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing your generosity by sending your son. It's in his name we ask it. Amen. Amen. All right. As these folks are returning to their seats, let me be very, uh, I want to be very specific so that you can really know what it takes to get these guys to the UK. Um, at the beginning of last service, I think Chris expressed we are $700 a month away uh, from making this a reality. So, that's like 50 people or 14 people giving 50 bucks, 50 bucks, give it 50 people giving 14 bucks, one person giving 700 bucks, two people giving 350 bucks, four people giving 175 bucks. However you want to go with that. 35 people giving, I don't know. Anyway, so if you can, if, if you, when you go out there, what we want you to understand is it's not the amount. Um, it, every little bit helps. Um, so if you say, man, I can't give 50 bucks a month, understand. Could you give 10? 
Or you may be like, 50 bucks is not even a big deal. Can I give 100? Yes. Um, whatever it is that you can do, we want you to do that on the way out. Now, here's how we're going to end our time together. Um, band's going to sing. We're going to worship one more time. I said in the early gathering that if um, I don't know that the person who wrote this song knows EB, uh, but it would appear that they do because I think this is the best song. I think this song was written for her to sing. I, I love to hear her sing this song, but it's also one of my favorite songs because there's a line in the song that says, hell lost another one. And everything we've ever done at LifePoint was to, was to steal one more from hell. Uh, with every effort, with every dollar, with every agenda, with every sermon, uh, every trip, uh, our intention is to steal one more away from hell. And, uh, and so I love to sing about it. So here's what we're going to do. The band's going to play it. EB's going to rock it. You're going to help her. And we're going to have a great time ending our time together this morning. All right? Stand to your feet.